Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are excited that you are here. Hello to all the men here in the room. Thank you for taking time out of your day, your commitment to this Bible study over the last eight years. I, I just can't um, I can't say enough about that. I mean, there, there's there's men that have literally been in here uh, uh, eight full years. Others who've been here somewhere between five and six. Others three and four. Uh, you guys have have really really encouraged me with your commitment to this. Uh, I certainly have benefited from it. I hope you have, and I appreciate you being here. So we've got some things we need to do today. We're going to be in Genesis twenty. If you're new to this Bible study, right now we're walking through the book of Genesis. We've been at it about twenty two weeks. Uh, we're now in uh, chapter 20. We're going to walk all the way through Genesis till we get to the very end, and then we'll decide what we're going to do next. Um, I know what some of you are, have been uh, talking to me about, and, and I think that we probably will do that, but we'll, I'll hold that announcement uh, when I feel like the Lord has uh, officially confirmed it. Let me tell you some things that are going on. This Wednesday Bible study uh, has uh, foundationally been a men's Bible study. Now women do join us all over the country uh, via YouTube or the podcast uh, archives, and we welcome you. You're, you're, you're perfectly welcome to be here. But I do want to talk a little bit about men's ministry, and, and even uh, you know if, if this doesn't apply to you, ladies, uh, maybe it applies to your husband or maybe a, a potential husband uh, that you are dating to let them know these things are available to them. Hey, it's only going to help them uh, be what you uh, are praying for. Uh, so go to themanchurch.com. We have resources for men uh, individually, uh, small groups for men uh, to work on items. We have curri- uh, full 40-week curriculum uh, for churches. We have three different ones on three different topics. we got a fourth one that will be coming out uh, in 2023. Uh, and uh, that's the reason why I'm going to tell you about some things that are going on because part of our strategy doesn't just feature curriculum. It also features services where men gather together and they, they're challenged by speakers, and I want to run some of those for you all over the country. Kevin Derryberry will be in Opelika. First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama, has been doing the strategy. They're in year three of this, and they're in the third curriculum, and Kevin Derryberry will be their next speaker. That is June the 16th. If you're in and around that part of uh, southern Alabama, you're welcome to join them. Uh, Homewood Church of Christ in Homewood, Alabama, they just announced they'll start the men's discipleship strategy. That will kick off with uh, speaker Brian Gunn, and you're welcome to join Brian and be there for that kickoff. That's going to be a breakfast on a Saturday morning of, of Father's Day weekend, so uh, you can still be there and plug into a small group and, and hear that great message from Brian coming up on the 18th. Uh, at my home church, Valleydale, we're also in the first year of the men's discipleship strategy. We're in our first curriculum, but we're getting toward the end of it. Uh, but Scott Dawson will be speaking at our our prayer breakfast, and you are welcome to join us for that. You do need to RSVP because we know how uh, we need to know how much food to provide, but there's no charge for it. You can be there. We got breakfast for you. Scott will be speaking, and we'll discuss at our tables some topics as well. So make plans uh, to be with us in, in Birmingham at Valleydale Church. And then on the 28th, Scott Dawson will also speak at New Life Chapel, Madison, Alabama. So that's the month of June as far as man churches are concerned. Uh, I'll be speaking at a men's conference, an event coming up in Shelbyville, Tennessee, uh, and I'll be there on June the 18th also. That's Saturday night of Father's Day weekend, and I'll be speaking to all who attend. They have two tickets available for you. If you'd like to have uh, dinner together, there'll, there'll be an extra charge for the food for that. If you just want to attend the uh, the event, that's okay, too. You don't have to pay for the dinner. Uh, so you can see those two ticket options by going to rickandbubba.com or to burgessministries.com. Uh, click on events, and you'll find that there under June the 18th. We also announced uh, last week, and it is official, it's out there for iPhones or Android, uh, the Strive app. Uh, this is a brand-new app. Man, we are getting rave reviews on this app. Uh, it's the daily discipleship app for men. It has daily devotionals that uh, uh, that are updated weekly. They're new every week. It has articles. It has sermons. Uh, those sermons and Bible studies uh, by teachers that we have vetted out some of our stuff from this this Wednesday Bible study. Some of our archives are in there, uh, and you can have that uh, in your app. Uh, try it uh, free for seven days wherever you get apps. Uh, and then if you like it, it'll be nine ninety nine a month for you to have that content just rolling uh, to that app, and it will continue to just grow and grow and grow and also be freshened up for you. But there's enough content there. And some people really love that there, we have one part in there where it's just, I mean, it's like one phrase that you can take with you for the day, and then, uh, of course, a daily devotion that you can do in your quiet time too. So look for that wherever you get apps, and thank you for the feedback we're already getting. Let's open in prayer, and let's jump into Genesis 20. Lord, thank you for today. 
Thank you for everyone who has joined us. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word and to learn another extremely valuable lesson today, that, uh, that even though we may be redeemed, uh, even though we may be deemed righteous, uh, those that, uh, that are followers of you still struggle uh, on this side of glorification with sin. Uh, but as you have laid out clearly, sin always matters, but it is always a battle. And help us to understand this today, Lord, as we open your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, you find in Genesis 20, you, you almost start thinking, hey, Abraham, have you learned anything uh, from uh, from the last time that we talked about this? Uh, if you remember, uh, we, we see uh, that uh, back when, when he was Abram, uh, we see uh, Abraham, who now has his new name, make a mistake in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, that he's now going to repeat in Genesis chapter 20. Uh, and and we start asking ourselves, what in the world is going on here? Has Abraham not learned uh, from the last time that he committed this sin? And the answer is no, uh, apparently not. Uh, and But I would challenge all of us to ask ourselves the same question. Have you ever committed a sin, knew you shouldn't have done it, uh, and then before you knew it, you were doing it again? Um, I, I can say yes to that. Uh, maybe, hopefully, you... I'm going to I'm I'm just going to go ahead and guess that you probably have had that problem too. But uh Paul talks about this sin nature in Romans chapter 7 that he's he's just frustrated with it. So, let's talk about this and and unpack it today. But let's be real careful uh because uh, we don't want to say things that the scripture isn't saying either. So, we find Abraham once again now the, people don't really know why I've read some of the commentaries. Uh there's a lot of them saying why is he leaving again and and moving uh some some theorize that it's because he just saw sodom and gomorrah get destroyed and that was a little too close for comfort so he wants to move further away from that uh we don't really know why abraham has decided to to move again but that's going to be the first verse uh, uh that we're going to hear is in verse in chapter 20 verse 1 from there he's talking about you remember when we left abraham you know he had been he'd been walked out to look from hebron to look down and see Sodom, uh, and so what, when he says from there, he means from there, where he was. He, he left, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned to Gerar. Uh, and Abraham uh, uh, said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. What, what's happening here again? Here we go again. So first of all, where is he going? Uh, Abraham leaves, uh, but this time it's not like 12. Genesis 12. He's not going to Egypt. He's not leaving Canaan. But boy, he's close. Uh, he, he goes all the way down to the southwestern edge of Canaan. Now, he's still in Canaan, but he's still not He's not where he's supposed to be. He's moving again. He's, he, he's, he, and here's where you'll see the problem right out of the gate. Though he's staying in Canaan, he still had some nasty neighbors. Uh, he had some neighbors that were dangerous, and one of the things that we see Abraham continuing to struggle with, and, and I will say this in my own life, okay, in my own life, and, and I want you to take this if you haven't applied it to your, to your life, you and I, okay, will never repent of anything that we won't call sin. Anything we're continuing to justify, we'll never deal with it until we look at that and say, you know what, I need to repent of that, and I'll tell you why, not because it's bad for me, not because it's not serving me well. I need to repent of that. I need to deal with that because it's sin. And what's happening is, and I know in my own life, there's some things in my life that I, I had that I didn't call sin until I started growing through sanctification. I've told you all that. One of them was the ongoing struggle with my weight. Uh, it wasn't just what I weighed. or, or uh, It really was because I had to be honest with it. Why, do I, why am I so overweight? And, and it wasn't anything other than sin. And and you can as you can look at me and tell I'm still struggling with it. I'm not trying to get to the point where there's some legalistic, you know, BMI, a holy BMI. If I'm six foot two, then until I weigh one eighty five, I'm going to hell. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is there are things in my life that that I knew were were adding to my weight problem that were simply sinful. Uh, I I was lazy. I wasn't working out. I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything. I was. I was eating glutton. I was a glutton. I overate. 
Uh, I ate things uh, on a regular basis, just not every now and then, that were very unhealthy for me. I knew it was unhealthy for me. Uh, and, uh, and so I had to finally say that sin. And I remember a, a friend of mine who's in the weight struggle. Many of us in the room are in the weight struggle. And I remember he came to my wife and he said, when, when, I, when I lost the 50 pounds, he said, what was it that Rick finally decided to lose 50 pounds? Because I'd been overweight uh, to some degree ever since I was you know, 20 years old. And uh, uh, once I left football, I started putting the weight on pretty quick. And, um, and, and Sherry said, well, he finally called it sin. Uh, until it was sin to him. He wasn't going to do anything about it. Uh, and like I say, now you would think it me motivating, maybe my wife doesn't like to have a husband that looks the way I looked. And um, I had to ask myself if she was as overweight as me, would that bother me? Uh, would I feel like that she wouldn't, you know, did she even care about me at all? Uh, so I didn't really care about her. Uh, so that didn't motivate me. Uh, hey, Dad, can you know, I noticed that you couldn't play with us very long because you can barely breathe and you're back on the couch again, you know, uh, uh, eating candy and potato chips. Um, uh, that didn't motivate me, sadly. I'm mean, just being honest. Uh, but until I was confronted by God Almighty, you're never going to be a leader in men's ministry looking like this and living like this. I can't trust you. You don't have self-control. And, uh, and, and then, so when that sin hit me, so what you're finding, then, then I dealt with it. Another one that I had to, uh, you, I think we all need to, especially through the pandemic and all this, is the fact that there is fear of God that is wonderful, but there's fear of man that is sin. You know, being terrified and fearful all the time, it's sinful. And this is something Abraham hasn't dealt with. This, he does this because he's afraid again. He's afraid of what these people are going to do to him. And, uh, and so sometimes you got to call something sin that maybe you just want. The other one, and Sherry talked about this, uh, this is one that we kind of hit together, the sin of self-pity. Poor, poor, pitiful me. That's sinful. Uh, we're not to be, be people who, are, are, who just wallow in self-pity all the time about things that don't go the way we want them to go. It's okay to be disappointed, uh, but you don't enter into self-pity to where it's sinful. And so, anyway, uh, th- this is Abraham's problem, uh, is that he has a sin in his life that he hasn't dealt with. Now, you go, now, wait a minute, Rick. I thought, I, thought he, I thought he felt bad about it in Genesis 12, and you know what we say about what he's about to do? Apparently not. He, he, he got out of the situation. He did it. I'm sorry. You ever done that? You know, we've, dealt, we've seen that if you've ever counseled any, anybody who's dealing with a, an abusive husband. That husband will apologize over and over and over and over. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry. I love you. I shouldn't have done that. And then what happens? He just does it again. So what if somebody says, well, he said he was sorry last time. Well, apparently that's not enough. And I think that's what we got to get out of this today. What is true repentance? And we'll we'll get to that. Uh, So anyway, so in verse 2, and I have labeled verse 2 as here we go again. Now, now, notice this time Moses doesn't even take a lot of time to set this up like he did in, in Genesis 12. You know why? He knows we read Genesis 12. He's like, I don't need to set this up again. You, you know the reason why he did it last time. That's why he's going to do it again. Uh, so, you, so here we go. We've got Abraham and Sarah. And in verse 2, Abraham says of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And uh, Abimelech, king of Gerar, uh, uh, sent and took Sarah. Okay, this is how kings operated. So uh, you know this. Now he's he's not dealing with a, with Pharaoh. He's not in Egypt. He he's he's now down here with 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 Abimelech, who's the king. And if the king walked up and and this woman's available, he was allowed as king to take her. Do you see how quick that happened? Abimelech shows up. Hey, this is my sister. Okay, well I'll take her then. I'll just add her to the harem, and I got the right to do that as king. Here's the part that that breaks your heart dealing with Abraham here. He seems to be willing again to let Sarah experience anything that happens as long as he doesn't get hurt. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of men that treat their families that way. I mean, this is that Hezekiah thing. You know, you see Hezekiah and and you see him, he's 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 under the list of I put him on the list of pretty good kings. Because he, he had some good days. But at the end of his time, when he starts to drift a little bit and gets arrogant and wants to show all the enemies all the stuff God's given him and how rich and wealthy he is, and God says, hey, you weren't supposed to let those people in here. 
And uh, he says, for this, he said, you know, you're, you're going to be sick and you're going to die. And Hezekiah comes back and says, oh, Lord, please. I mean, show me mercy. Let me live. Don't take my life. And God hears his prayer, and he comes back, and he says, well, my wrath is still coming on you and coming on your people and coming on your family. But for you, you're going to live, what is it, 15 more years, I think, 18, something like that. Is it 15? You're going to live 15 more years. And you know what Hezekiah says? Oh, so it's not going to happen to me? Sounds good. And what did that give us? Manasseh, who was a wicked, wicked, evil son. But Hezekiah said, well, as long as it doesn't impact me, sounds good to me. And this is Abraham going, I know I know, this gets me out of it. I don't know what's going to happen to Sarah, but, but at least I'll be okay. Now keep in mind, we've just gone through this whole thing that Sarah is now pregnant, likely at this time, with Isaac. The Lord himself has showed up at the tent and says, when I come back this time next year, we're going to have a baby. So here now he's sending off to, to this king, his wife, and he's playing the she's my sister card again. And here's the part that we talk about all the time, and, and I want you to look at what's going to happen here later. But now God shows up in, in verse 3 again because it, when you look at this story, now, now hang on. Okay, because I'm going to say something that you're going to have a little bit of a pushback, but I'm going to say it anyway. When you, if you just, if first, if, if chapter 20 was the only thing you looked at, you didn't know anything else about Abraham. You didn't know what's happened before. You don't know what God said about him. You know, you could see what God's going to do here at the end. You might get some indication, but your first reaction would be of the two men, the one that seems to have the most integrity is Abimelech. Because you're going to see him go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know. No, uh-uh. He told me that, that that was his sister. I wouldn't have done this. You're going to almost think that this evil king, by the way, that is that is going to go to hell. That that he because he's not a believer. He's not under the. He's not one of God's people. He he rejects the one and only living God. He's an idol worshiping pagan. But right now he's showing more integrity here in a minute than than Abraham. And 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 I wonder sometimes. Because how many times people look at those of us that claim to be part of the church, and then they deal with people who never make that claim and go, i got to be honest with you, when I deal with these the people outside the church, I like them better than y'all. They tip better. They're thankful. Uh, they, they're, they're not trying to get me to support them out of guilt. They actually want me to support them out of merit, that they do a good job. Um, do, do, do Sometimes the people look at us and go, i got to tell you something, I think the world handles things better than y'all do. Well, that's not a good witness. That's not a good testimony for the church if they go, well, I tell you what, what do you hear people say all the time? Look, I appreciate what you do, but when it gets down to, to the, you know, a deal on a car, when it gets down to service, I just want the job done well. Well, if we follow what God says about our work ethic, the, to encounter a, a man of God ought to be the best experience no matter what you're doing. It should be better than the world. But many times, what do we do? We want to play. We want to play the card of, you know, quote quote a few Bible verses to you. Put a Bible verse on our card. I've told y'all this one, but some of you new guys, we had a comedian who's who's uh, who has has passed away a few years ago, and I'll never forget him saying this on the air. And he was one hundred percent right. He said, "When a man gives you a business card with a Bible verse on it, he's going to do something to you. You're going to have to forgive him for." Think about that. That's our reputation. How sad is that? How sad is that? So, so if you looked at this right now, you'd really rather deal with Abimelech than than to deal with the than deal with Abraham. Because so, look what happens next. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, "Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife." So, who has to intervene here? Not Abraham. God. God has to come in and say, look, I've got this thing I'm going to do, and i got to get in here and, and fix this because Abraham is, um, is, 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 is afraid of what he thinks is a dangerous neighbor, and he has given his wife to this king to take into his harem. And, uh, and so before we get too upset with Abraham, though, I want you to realize this, and, and Tom Haney and I were just talking about this, one of the curriculum that we have at themanchurch.com is called Real Men. Now, sometimes you see that and you go, 
real men. No, what this is about is flawed men. We should, maybe should have named it flawed men. And what and what it is is you realize that these men of the of in scripture that God has used to accomplish mighty things are really flawed people. I mean, I mean, you think about this. Okay, uh, uh, Noah goes through all this, gets off the boat. What happens? I'm drunk out of my mind. and I'm butt naked. Okay, uh, you you got Moses loses his temper, can't even go into the promised land because he can't control his temper. Okay, you got you got David, and we got all day. They take up the rest of the Bible study. I mean, let's just go to the biggie. I had one of my friends killed because I wanted his wife, even though I had how many wives? I mean, this guy was loyal to me. He was one of my mighty men. I had him killed so I could have his wife, who I just got pregnant while he was gone. God used him. Uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. Hey, to the point he was cussing out a young girl at the fire. I don't know this guy. I don't want anything to do with this guy. Don't associate me with this guy. All right, and then we've got uh, Barnabas, uh, believe it or not, in, uh, in the book of Acts. Barnabas kind of slips over into false doctrine for a while, has to be corrected. So, so some, of the, some of these great men of the Bible uh, are flawed, and what we need to take away from that is not that sin doesn't matter, because we're going to make sure we, we get that today. It does matter. But what I'm saying is don't ever allow the adversary to say to you, you can't be used by God. You've done too much. You're too far gone. I remember being like that. I remember, I just, I remember when I was just about to make that turn to repent and come into the authority of Christ, and the man, the adversary, and the darkness just kept saying to me over and over, "It's too late. You've done too much damage. You can't be used. You can't be used at all." So even when I finally was redeemed, I thought to myself, "Well, I'll be redeemed, but I just, I'll just have to, you know, kind of sheepishly be quiet and sit here and just kind of be part of the part of the church." But I certainly can't serve the church. I mean, I know. There are certain denominations say I can never be a deacon, I can never be an elder. Uh, I just need to be glad I'm here, which that's a good attitude to have. But the bad attitude to have, it's okay to be humble. It's okay to be going, woe is me, I have been forgiven much. Absolutely, that's the attitude we ought to have. But but don't let don't let uh, your, your past sin be used against you that you can't serve the kingdom. Because I can give you, I just gave you, that was just a small list. I got, there's a lot more guys I can go to. They, they, because it's not us that is great, it's him. It's not David who is great, it's God. It's not Elijah who is great, it's God. You know, go back to this again, any old bush will do. I've told you all so many times, this thing we're doing with themanchurch.com, there's no way I was God's first choice. There's people that could have done this a thousand times better than me. They just weren't willing. There's guys that don't have near the sin in their past that I have, but they just weren't willing. All he's looking for is somebody to say, my yes is on the table. Good, because I didn't need you anyway, but I'll use you. So uh, so just just remember that. Um, and, and, and so you may want, want to think to yourself, why does the Word of God – by the way, stories like this is one of the things I use to prove that this is the Word of God. I'm sure some of you have done this too. When these people start this, that's ah, just a book written by a bunch of men. Patriarchal system. And I'm like, well, why would men have a book written that makes them look so bad if they were in control of it? And so why, why do you think God wants this to be in there? Because, I mean, it's really kind of confusing. It wouldn't be all that confusing if Abraham would just stay solid the whole way. you go, well, no wonder he's going to be the lineage all the way to the Savior of the world. Now, what, 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 this is what we're, why we're allowed to see these things, not to encourage us to sin. That's certainly not what it's about but to warn us to beware of sin because it, it always matters. It always causes problems. And in this case, God has to miraculously come in and, and, and fix because if this thing stands, you, you realize if this thing stands, somebody could say, well, yes, she's pregnant, but what if it's Abimelech's? The king might have got her pregnant. We don't know that Abraham got her pregnant. I mean, you know, she's been in his harem, and, I mean, you know he's had his way with her. Now, keep in mind, Sarah's old this time. It's also why one of the things you do see here, and I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but it's there. Back in 12, somebody somebody offered something for Sarah. This time, he didn't offer anything for her. He just said, I'll take her. And that was probably more of a power move than it was a get my jollies move. 
because Sarah's old now. It was probably just a power move to say this this this, this might get me in, in 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 good standing with Abraham, and I know how powerful he is for me to have somebody. I got something from him. So yeah, but I did find that interesting. You know, you go back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, "I'll give you this and this and this." For Abimelech, never says that. He just says, "I'll take her." And uh, women, I'm sorry, but you can email speedy at rickandbubba.com. Um, all right. So uh, so 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 if you think about this, if 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 somebody like Abraham messes up, okay, I, I want you to think about that. If somebody like Abraham messes up. And does sin like this, somebody as solid as Abraham, can you imagine how much we in this room should beware of sin? If it can get Abraham, getting you and I ain't going to be no big deal. You know, Abraham's like playing in a really strong conference. Taking all of us out is like a homecoming game. Okay, because I, I dare any of us to say we have the faith of Abraham. So um, so let's let's discuss it. So why why did Abraham sin? Let's take this on. Well, let's start first of all. First John one eight says what? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We must walk in the Spirit. So the number one reason why Abraham sinned is because he has a sin nature. Why do I sin, Rick? Because you have a sin nature. That's why. You know, you, 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 you might have been justified, and now you're being sanctified. Praise God for that, but you're not glorified. So Romans 7, as I mentioned again, you, you see throughout Scripture that, that sin nature. Remember the C.S. Lewis comment? Now there's a war going on, and now that your spirit's been redeemed and comes alive, now the flesh begins to fight for its life. And whichever one you feed is the one that's going to win. Don't feed the flesh. Every time I sin, it's because I led with the flesh. I didn't lead with the spirit. So many times you get in an argument with your wife that you calls, you go back and look at it and go, I just I, I didn't respond to that through the spirit. I responded to that through the flesh. And what does the flesh always say to us? That's a perfectly normal reaction. And that's what's wrong with it. We're not supposed to have a perfectly normal reaction. We're supposed to have a, a reaction that is supernatural. Provided by the Spirit. So whichever one you feed, and you guys are here, this is one of the ways you feed it. What's the second reason that Abraham sinned? He moved into enemy territory. He leaves again from where God had him. And now he, by his own admission, the reason why he gives up his wife again is he's afraid. Let me tell you something, guys. Don't be sin daredevils. Don't be sin daredevils. I can't say that enough. Don't show how gracious God can be. What, is, what does Paul say about that in Romans 6? Never try to show how gracious God. What are you supposed to be, sin even more to show how wonderful grace is? He says, certainly not. As a matter of fact, our pastor said that if you look at the real Greek word there, they're not even sure the word. It's almost like a, a word that would be, I wouldn't say a, it's not profane, but it is a very, very, it'd be like you saying, have you lost your mind? You know, when you say, so so, so we should we take grace, which is all grace, so I guess we can just sin anytime we want to. And Paul says, certainly not. Have you lost your mind? You've been freed from sin. You've not been free to sin. And, and so, and so the, don't move into enemy territory. Here's what happens. When he got afraid, he walked into enemy territory. He was in over his head, and when he... The man of faith, Abraham's incredible faith, what happened is he stopped walking by faith and he started walking by sight. I'm afraid. It looks bad here. These people are dangerous. But if he was walking by faith, he would be like, but if the Lord's with me and he's promised that I'm going to be the father of a powerful nation, and my offspring are going to be like the, 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 the sand and the stars. If I'm walking with God by faith, then Abimelech means nothing. He's putty in God's hands, but he wasn't. He was afraid, which means he's not walking by faith. He's walking by sight. And you and I have got to stop walking by sight. I promise you, the way things are going right now in this nation, if you're walking by sight, you're afraid. You better be walking by faith. The only thing we should fear is God himself. That's, that's a healthy fear. That's wisdom. 
But we should not fear people, and we should not fear a falling creation. We should be aware of it, and we shouldn't be sin daredevils, but we certainly don't live petrified. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Matthew 26, 41. Who told us that? Jesus. Hey, don't, don't run off in enemy territory. You stay with you. Think about the sins in the Bible, especially sexual sins for men. What did Paul say about that? Just get out of here. Just leave. I, I had a situation, it was a, a few years ago, but I mean, it's still during the time I was walking with Christ and, and I was going somewhere that I'd usually go and I needed to be there. And, and uh, it, was, it was part of my health regiment to be there, uh, trying to do better and, and work out. And, uh, and I normally knew who all was going to be at the time that I go there and knew kind of what to expect. And I pulled up and I saw somebody that was kind of breaking some of the rules there that pulled up and got out and they were scantily clad. Uh, and you know what I didn't do? Let me just go in there and work out and just see how this goes. I put my truck in reverse and I left. You know why? I'm not going to do well in there. I don't need to be in there. Just go. Just If you know it's a bad situation, you just, get, you just don't even go there. Don't enter into enemy territory to try to show how strong you can be. That, that's being a sin daredevil. Uh, there's sometimes you just need to, to, to leave. Fear of man... This is a good one. Fear of man and faith in God cannot dwell together in the same heart. That's good. That's good. I can't remember if that's Wearsby that said that or John Phillips. Anyway, because I looked at uh, – but that came out of one of the commentaries. Fear of man and faith in God cannot dwell together in the same heart. You can't fear people and truly have faith in God. It's impossible. And if you have faith in God, you won't fear people. If you want a, a verse to maybe put up that kind of emphasizes that, write down Proverbs 29 and then verse 25. Proverbs 29, 25. That'd be a good verse for you today. And then you, another reason you think about why he sinned, look at the, the third reason. Apparently Sarah and Abraham, um, you know, they, they actually were together on this deal. And, uh, and and keep in mind, it's just a repeat of the sin that um, that that they he did the first time in Egypt. But if you'll notice, look look what says in verse four, and Abimelech had not approached her, uh, so he said, "Lord," meaning she, he had not violated her sexually, is what what that means. He says, "He says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people?" Five. Did he not himself say to me, "Sarah is my sister"? And look at this. Underline this, and she herself said, he's my brother. So now Sarah's in on it. Why? Because her husband's taught her to be this way. Abimelech is saying, look, not only did he tell me she was his sister, she agreed with him. She told me too. She said this was her brother. Don't kill an innocent people. We were deceived. We, I got lied to about this. So when you think about that now, why do you think it is that Abraham has committed the same exact sin that we read about in Genesis 12 when he was in Egypt? Thomas Watson, repentance, true repentance, is the vomiting of the soul. I have that written down in my office. I want to see it every day. True repentance is the vomiting of the soul. You don't hang on to anything with it. And what happened is, apparently, you were, how do you know this? Because he's doing it again. That's how I know it. And I know that's why the sins I repeat. Sins that I repeat are still sins that I haven't quite decided I'm done with. And, and frankly, I still love them more than I love Jesus. Or I wouldn't be doing them. If it, if it made me vomiting sick to be in a sin... And I, w- I love Jesus so much that it made me sick to sin against him, then I wouldn't do it. So I haven't really truly repented of it to the level that it's, it, it sours my stomach to think of it. So I'm still kind of intrigued by it. I still kind of, still, still of want to keep reacting that way. And that's the sanctification process, but just admit it. Because any sin you continue to justify, you'll never repent of.
And what happened is Abraham once again said, but yeah, I mean, this guy could kill me, though. He's still justifying it, which means when he said, I'm sorry, he just wanted to get through that moment. He had not made the decision that he wouldn't do it again. How do we know that? Because he did. What have he said? You may not always live out what you profess. I may not either. But I will always live out what I truly believe. So if Abraham was here, we'd say, Abraham, do you think you should pretend that Sarah is your sister and give her over to people? No, I don't think I should do that. And you go, okay. Y'all think Abraham's telling the truth? I guess he is. And then you would come now, right? You'd be in southwest Canaan. You go, apparently not. Why, why, do you, why don't you think Abraham was telling us the truth before? Well, he just did it again. I mean, he did it like that. I mean, do you notice it doesn't even say that Abraham struggled with whether he should do it or not? This is his go-to. You, you ever had that? You ever had a sin that if you get in a certain situation, you're going to do it every time? Right? You, you, you've seen this? I mean, you go, every time I'm in this situation, I always fail. Well, then you haven't, you haven't gotten to the point yet, and I haven't got to the point yet, where I have truly laid that at the foot of, of you know what, and you were, while, while, here's where most men mess up. I don't know women if y'all struggle with it as much. Let me tell you where we mess up. I'm the king of it. I, there's certain things that I think, well, I can handle. I'm just so, I'm, I'm so strong that, that this situation I will never fail in. And then I keep failing in it. You think at some point I would go, well, Burgess, I guess you can't because you keep messing this same thing up. You know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I had some some growth with, with a person with one of my kids graduating on Friday that that that, that was really uh, usually would have aggravated me. And I, and I found out a way to say to someone, you're just being unreasonable. I don't scream. I don't yell. I don't threaten. I'm sorry, sir. I have to disagree with you here. This is unreasonable. Sherry couldn't believe what she was seeing. She goes, where did this? I said, I've just come up with this word, unreasonable. This person is being unreasonable. And, uh, and I appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate your situation, but I just want you to know that what you're saying right now is unreasonable, and I won't be going along with that because what you're asking is unreasonable. And, uh, and then you know I get in the car, and I'm on my way out, and somebody pulls in front of me, and I'm on the horn, and I'm like, you know, what an idiot. And Sherry says, I see this area we're still working on. She goes, maybe you should have said that him pulling out in front of us was unreasonable. But you, you see what I'm saying? So in that situation right now, I keep failing every time. So maybe I need to hand that over to God and quit thinking that something that small I can just handle. Apparently I can't. But this one you may say is a biggie, but whatever this is in your life, it may not be to this level, but if you keep failing and falling into sin, what you're doing isn't working. Amen? So, uh, so this is the problem. We see that Abraham wasn't done with this sin back in 12. And how do we know that? He just did it again. And now Sarah's, she's bought into it now. Apparently she thinks it's justified to lie as well. And where'd she learn that? Yeah, from her husband. That's back to what we talked about before. So we see in verses 3 through 7 that God's chastising Abimelech. And, and it appears that he has more integrity than Abraham here. But the thing we have to realize, God will not let him be intimate with Sarah. God is showing him mercy. You ready for that one? As well. Hey, I'm not going to let you do this, because if you do, I'm going to kill you. And he made that clear. I won't let this happen. I'm not even going to let you commit this sin, even though Abraham, my guy, put you in this situation. I won't let it happen. So we serve a very merciful God. God truly believes, listen to this, this is important. God truly believes that when Abimelech said to him, I didn't know, God knows he's telling the truth. I got you. I know you didn't know, so I'm not going to let this happen. And uh, Charles Spurgeon says this. This is a great line from Spurgeon. God does not allow his children to sin successfully. Now keep in mind, he's not talking about the lost. He's talking about his children. Do we still struggle with sin? Yes. Does God love us enough that when we get into that sin, he's not going to let us sin successfully? Like, let's say, give me an give you an If you belong to Christ, if you're, if you're under the, the, the covenant, the new covenant, and you have been redeemed, and you have been reconciled back to God, and you are at your business, and you are stealing money, 
and God sees it, he's going to let you go to jail. He won't let you keep it. He won't let you sin successfully. You go into jail. And when you're in jail, he'll say, remember that I discipline those that I love. And I've got to tell you, in my life, apparently God loves me a lot. He's not going to let you sin successfully. You know what he's saying? Abraham, Sarah, this is, this is, so, this is so off the, the page of what we're doing. I'm not going to let this be successful. I'm going to shut this whole thing down. So, um, so write that one down. That's a good one. We suffer from the consequences of sin and the chastening of the hand of God. And why do you think that God lets us suffer consequences of sin, and why do you think he chastens us? Why do you think that is? It works! It always works. You ever had a situation you said, I tell you what, after that, I, I won't be back to this again. We won't be revisiting this. Right? Him letting us suffer. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having heart. Not, this is difficult what I'm going to say, but I know men who have done it and have great respect for him. And God's the ultimate father. Somebody probably needs to hear this today. Sometimes you got to let your children suffer the consequences of their decisions. Quit bailing them out. I know that's hard. It's very hard. And it really sometimes may be one of the greatest acts of love that you've ever given them. But it's hard. But I'm telling you, it works. And you say, but Rick, what if, what if they die? That is, that is sometimes in some of the sin they're in, that's possible. You know, that's where you got to have faith in God. And you just have to say, you know, whatever you do is right. Okay? But I can't tell you the number of times that dads that I know have had wayward children and they bailed them out and they bailed them out and they bailed them out and they bailed them out. And finally the day came that they felt moved in the spirit to say, I'm not coming this time. I know, I know of one, you know, where he had to tell his, his child, lock the doors because sleeping in the car, try to be as safe as you can. I have no money. I have no place to go, Dad. Sorry. Find a way to put gas back in the car if you can, but I ain't coming this time. I guess you live in a car now. And that, that, that child is a God-fearing, outstanding, good-providing husband and father right now. But that was a tough decision. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've had to make some, some decisions along those same lines. And they're hard. But if you'll let your children suffer the consequences of their decisions when they're making the wrong decisions, sometimes that's the best way to love them. And God, God's been doing that for a long time. So he's already given us an example of that. So, um, so anyway, so uh, going on. So when, when you look at, at what's happening here, you see that there's, there's things that, that happen as the result of sin that we can't ignore. It always matters, okay? Let's look at the thing we just had with Lot. Okay, let's just look back to the last chapter. Lot had no integrity, right? We, we said that Peter says he's righteous, and I, I think we'll spend eternity under the covenant of Abraham with, with Lot. But Lot, when he told everybody to leave, they didn't leave. Why? He had no integrity because of his sin. Lot also what lost his testimony to the pagans. He was put there with all these pagans. Well, he has no credibility with them. Right? Because, I mean, th- think about when, with that, that loss. When, and when you look at this, too, you're going to see Abraham's going to have the same problem. You think Abimelech's ever going to listen to Abraham? When Abraham comes and says, I'm a man of God, and Abimelech's going, you're talking about the guy that told me your wife was your sister and you nearly got me killed by the God you serve? You think I'm going to listen to you? You don't have any, you don't have any credibility. You think, look, there's people right now because of the sins of my past that I've been forgiven to. Y'all going to have to reach them. They ain't going to listen to me. I got too much damage with them. They, they're not going to listen to me. It's going to take somebody else. I've lost my credibility with them. And uh, so also um, uh, we see that Abraham is an example of, uh, of a person who has you know, had some influence, but now he's lost it, just like Lot did in Sodom. And um, I love this. This is from uh, James Strahan. Listen to this statement. A bad man's example 
has little influence over good men. A bad man's example has little, if any, influence over good men. So you can get to the point where you've been forgiven by God, but what you did was so bad that good men won't listen to you anymore. That doesn't mean you're going to hell, but it it means that, that you've lost a ministry. Because and, and and you see this like you look at Josiah. So Josiah comes in and you know he restores the kingdom and he's cleaning up the mess of of, of God's people turning away from God. Uh, and, and and it's it's an incredible. We're thinking about doing a, 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 another resource on Josiah, which would be great. But one of the things you notice, he found out that they were actually some of the um, some of the priests that had been up on the high places serving as priests for the idols. Okay, now they were originally priests for the temple and for God. Josiah finds them. He brings them in. Now the priests that didn't go up there, they go back into serving and doing services again. These priests never got to do another service. Now he let them have the food that was left over from the idols with the other priest. But it says in Scripture, because you hear this all the time, some minister has a big fall, and everybody says, well, who are you? He just, he's, he, he's repented. Just put him back up there and let him have – but we'll, give it, we'll take him down for a month or two, and we'll put him right back up in the pulpit. That's not Scripture. It doesn't mean he's unforgiven. But, and these priests, I believe, were forgiven by God. But you know what Josiah says? But you won't lead a service again. You know why? You've lost your credibility. People are not going to follow you. Well, that's not fair. Well, you should have thought about that before you went up to the high places and started uh, being uh, a priest for, for idols. You, I guess you're going to hold this against the rest of my life. No, no, no. We're not holding it against you. We're, we're thankful that we have a forgiving God. We'll spend eternity together. You don't get to be the priest anymore. You'll serve God some other way. This thing that you just get everything back after you've been forgiven, that's not Scripture. David certainly didn't. Well, you know, I see myself a lot like David. Oh, do you? Uh, do you? Would you like to see all, all that sin did to his life? I wouldn't be like that if I could avoid that. So be real careful with this because this we're seeing a man of God who's sinning again, but we also see that the sin that he did will matter. He's lost influence. He's lost part of his ministry. And look, the reason if you don't believe he's lost uh, influence over Abimelech, look at this right here in verse 9. This blew my mind when I read this. Look at verse 9. So you see that uh, um, you, you see everything that went with God. You see, then God said to him in a dream, "Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, uh, and and it was I who kept you from sinning against me." There's that mercy. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and you and all who are yours. Look at eight. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid, I bet. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, look at this, Why have you done, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? And you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. This is the line that hit me. You think he's ever going to be able to reach Abimelech again? Listen to this line. You have done to me, things that ought not be done. Man, I, I can't believe you would do this to me. You know what you also have in here a little bit from Abraham? He just assumed that these people would harm him and kill him and kill his wife. He had, he had, a, he had, he had a preconceived vision of these people because they were different from him. And you know what Abimelech, uh, Abimelech is saying to him? I wasn't going to kill y'all. Why did you do this to me? I didn't do anything to you. I didn't harm you in any way. You ever found yourself thinking things about people just because of their ethnicity? Is that a sin you need to deal with, maybe? You just assume that they're bad because of their ethnicity or their culture or their country or their neighborhood, and you just assume they're going to do you harm, even if they haven't done anything to you. That's what Abraham is having to learn here, too. Verse 10, And Abimelech said to Abraham, 
what did you see that you did this thing? What what about us made you think we were dangerous? What what about us would cause you that you would do something to me that the God you serve was ready to kill me? Why would you why would you do that to me? Really, if you look at this, Abimelech has never wronged Abraham. Abraham wronged him. Just because of who he was. Abraham said this in 11, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. At least he admits it. I thought y'all were bad people just because of where you live. I said, "There, none of y'all here fear God. And, you know, Abimelech's like, really? So you just assume all of us are wicked, evil people? He said, what did we do to you to make you that justified that? And, by the way, it's nothing. He just knew that was a bad part of Canaan. And as soon as he sees Abimelech coming, he assumes because of his ethnicity, you mean to do me harm. And Abimelech's saying, where did you get that? Why would you do this to me? Abraham admits that's why he did it. 12, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Uh Uh-oh, half-truths. Uh-oh, Abraham's not quite ready to repent yet again. I was just about to admit how bad this was, but now really, if you look at it, I didn't completely lie. She is my half-sister which we know, we know was allowed at this time. Now, in Deuteronomy, Moses is going to shut this down. Not going to be to marry half-siblings anymore. But he could do it here, and she is his half-sister. But he, he see, let me, let me warn you about something. This is back to what I said a minute ago. Thomas Watson, don't ever forget it. True repentance is the vomiting of the soul. You know what is not the vomiting of the soul? Half-truths. Sometimes half-truths can be Worse than just an all-out lie because you won't quite come to terms. No, you just lied. You knew what your intent was. Your intent was to present her as not being your wife. That was your intent. Well, I mean, if you really look at it, you, you ever dealt? I used to be this way. Uh, well, y'all really mad like what I did was that bad? I mean, if you, I mean, is it really that bad? Anytime we sin against the one and only living God, it's really bad. And remember lying, what did Jesus say lying was? That is speaking the language of the devil himself. We see that, that God says that unrepented liars will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it was, it's not completely not true. Remember what happened in Acts when Ananias and Sapphira tried the, we, we sort of, kind of? Well, we did give you some of the proceeds of the land. Yeah, but you said you gave it all. Well, we liked all that hot Barnabas was getting, and we kind of wanted to seem as sacrificial but not really be that sacrificial. But we did give some of the money. I mean, it's not like we didn't give anything. It's not that bad. Until God struck them both dead, I guess God did not agree with that. So uh, so this is concerning that Abraham's going half-truth here. This, this is concerning. 13, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. So now he's admitting, and by the way, God caused him to wander? Abraham, reel it in. Well, when you know, God caused me to wander, I guess that's, we don't know, but I think he's referencing back to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. When all that happened, I had to clear the area. I had to wander, and uh, and so you know, this this is something that my sister, my, my, well, my, my wife, my wife and I worked out, and I told her that uh, that you, uh, you know, we're going to have to do this if I get in a bind. Here, once again, this is his wife. He's making sin. Then you get to 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And then Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Now watch this shot right here from Abimelech. He gets one in. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I've given your brother. That's a shot, by the way. Abimelech gets one in. you got to give him credit for that. He was, he was, he said, Look, y'all put me in this bind. I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. 
and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So God said, until everything gets set right here, ain't nobody having babies. And so Abraham prayed for him. You know, when you look at everything that happens here, another thing we got to look at on why our sin matters You lose your ministry. You remember what, what what God told Abraham he was to be? A blessing to people. But not to Abimelech he wasn't. He was not a blessing. He brought God's judgment on Abimelech. Abraham's sin brought judgment on innocent people. He almost lost Sarah and Isaac. Like I said, Abimelech could have, um, could have claimed this was his child. And um, God had to intervene miraculously. Do you know what Deuteronomy 6.16 and Matthew 4.7 says about when we mess up so bad that God has to fix it through miracles that we commit the sin of tempting God? I'm going to mess this thing up so much, and if God's really with me, he'll come in here and straighten this out. We didn't just do the right thing. We're going to do the wrong thing knowingly and say, well, if I really am God's man, he'll miraculously come in here. Watch, I'm going to show you how supernatural God can be. I'm going to create this impossible situation, and let's watch him bail me out. That's the sin of tempting God. His sin also affects Isaac. Well, we'll pass it on, won't we, guys? We're either Our influence cannot be turned off. I said this a thousand times. I'm going to say it again. We got to stop thinking that we can be lazy and take our influence and flip it to the neutral position. Said this on the show today, said it many times. I've said it in here, but I'm going to say it again. The influence that God has given us, we can't turn off. So then that influence under his authority is a blessing and an asset, or outside of his authority and under our own authority, it becomes an, a detriment and an obstacle. Guess who lied about Rebecca? And she was just a second cousin. So it's getting worse now. Isaac does. They did the same thing years later. They did the same thing. So, God will bring the believers to repentance. He loves us so much that he will do it. It's never pleasant. I would avoid it if you could. It's not pleasant. But it is profitable. Believers who continue to sin can be forgiven and restored. God never defended Abraham's sin, but he did defend Abraham. He didn't defend his sin, but he did defend him. And how many times has he done that for me? I keep thinking about how, how we just – all you got to do if you just want to think about what it must be like, like when my wife said the first time I'd ever heard anybody say it, that she finally realized that she had compassion for God on how many of his children reject him when, when our earthly – the earthly death of our son. She said I was just acting like that he just didn't understand about me losing a baby and even when his – own son was sacrificed. They were restored in three days. And she said, when I begin to realize through the Holy Spirit about all of God's other children that reject that sacrifice and they turn their backs on him and they send themselves to hell by the day. And God told me, now those I won't ever get back. And she said, for the first time in my entire life, I had compassion for God. Can you imagine what it must be for him, for him to continue to bail us out again and again and again, and our response is, I will just sin against you again. Sin always matters, but we serve a mighty and thankfully a gracious God. And no matter what you've done, 
if you truly repent and you leave faith in yourself and you place your faith in him, he will forgive you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the example that we see. We, we see ourselves. I rarely see myself in the devotion of these people in the Word of God that you've used and the man of great faith like Abraham. I, I see his faith, and I'm convicted by it, but, but when I see his sin, I, I relate to him. May it be that when he does things right, that be the Abraham that I relate to more than the one that keeps failing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Continue to refine us into something you're more comfortable with as opposed to us dumbing you down to something we're more comfortable with. May you be glorified in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.